So, we are continuing our look at the Holy Spirit as we go on. And, <laughs> and again, let me see a white screen. But we are talking about um, the struggle between the Spirit and the flesh. This is something we, we, we were talking about last time and we want to pick it up again. So, one last time, help me out here. Um, so, somebody summarize what we were talking about from Romans 8. So we, we did an extended look at Romans 8 over the last couple of weeks. How would you summarize what's going on in Romans 8 about the, the struggle between the spirit and the fleshly nature? It's God's spirit within us and the fleshly nature within us. Anybody? Anything going on in, in Romans 8? for a second. Somebody do me a favor and read Ephesians 5, 17 through 21. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk out of the which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. options in verse 18 there. What can we choose to fill ourselves with in our lives here? Uh, you can fill it with wine or fill it with spirit. Okay. Or debauchery. Yeah, okay. And, and that's a probably an important distinction. I mean, traditionally this is one of the, the, the passages that people will point to and say, therefore all alcohol is wrong. Because he tells you not to ever drink wine. Is that, is that what verse 18 is saying? Don't ever take a sip of wine. Pardon me, what? I have too. I have too. Now, I, I don't think you can read this verse and say, just from this verse, Paul is saying, therefore, any sip of wine is wrong. Are there any passages you could point to in Scripture to suggest that maybe Paul isn't saying any sip of wine is wrong? Well, wine is good for the stomach. Yeah, hey, Timothy, why don't you take a little sip of wine? You know, I mean, the idea that Paul, I mean, you can even point to Jesus turned the water into wine. You can point to other things. But specifically, Paul told Timothy, have a sip of wine. So the idea that Paul in verse 18 here is saying, all wine is evil, probably not cool. But yes, David, what, what did you say? What's the problem here? Oh, it says, do not get drunk on wine. Okay, so the problem probably isn't the wine, but the abuse of the wine, the getting drunk with wine. Elsewhere in Scripture, it talks about strong drink being a mocker. So the idea of going, all right, hard liquor, things that get you drunk, the idea of getting drunk, these are unhealthy things. Not necessarily. I'm just quoting Scripture. Cough if you want. These are the things you go, getting drunk is clearly in Scripture a bad thing. Why? If, if it's not alcohol, if we don't, 
and that, that's the easy target. But if we want to say, and eh, the problem in verse 18 here probably isn't alcohol, why is getting drunk a problem? Okay. Well, if we are supposed to be living under Okay, let's let's link those two together then. Okay, if, if, if you go well, it's not the alcohol per se that's the problem. It's the fact that you go well. If you drink it to the point that you are getting drunk, you are losing control. You are losing the ability to inhibit what needs to be inhibited. You're losing the ability to govern yourself. You're losing that important part of you, which doesn't mean that you are now controlless, right? It doesn't mean that you're like, well, you're just, it's, just things are out there. You no, you're always under the control of something. You're under autopilot from something in your, in your life, right? And if you are in a position whether for whatever reasons, that you go, I have, I have tossed my ability to control myself out the window, then what is controlling you? you know, well, whether you're from psychology, you want to say, well, you're just a walking id now. Or from Christianity, you want to say, it's all you are is whatever your flesh feels like at that moment. And you have no sense that you even should be controlling it. Then it's not, it's not just, well, there's the, script, there's the spirit, or you're just chaos. You go, no, no. You become exactly the whole point of what he's saying not to be, right? You're not being led by the Spirit at that moment. So what are you being led by? Because remember, it's, how many options are there? If I remember, there's two. So it's like, if you're absolutely not being led by the Spirit, then option one is to absolutely be led by not the Spirit, right? So what does this naturally lead us to, option one? You have two options as to what to choose in verse 18. Option one is what? You know, don't be drunk with wine. Which leads to? What does that mean? Flesh. When you think of debauchery, what does that include? What, is, what does it mean to be debauched? Yeah. We could throw out lots of... Yeah, but that's a perfect word for it. Actually... We just don't, we don't think about what that word means in its entirety, but lasciviousness is a perfect word for it. Meaning, what? What does it mean to be debauched? What does it mean to be lascivious? Because it's more than just a sexual word, which is why we t how we tend to use it. What, assuming he's not just talking about drinking, what is he talking about? What is debauchery? What is lasciviousness? What is it? It is. It often is. But it's, it's this unrestrained sensuality. All you are is what your senses want. All you are is what your flesh wants. That's it. Debauchery, lasciviousness. It all just is, I do what I feel like doing at that moment. Is that honoring to God? And I don't just mean you go right because you end up doing naughty things. In and of itself, that is the naughty thing. And that's the sticky part that people tend not to think about. We go, you're right. If I get drunk, I might lose my inhibitions, and I might do some things that might end up being sinful. No, you've already done that. The moment you go, I give in to everything I feel like doing. You go, oh. And then if I actually do that, you go, no, no. You've already crossed that threshold. Because you've already led toward debauchery. You're already moving toward lasciviousness. Now, what debauched things or lascivious things you do, those are also going to be bad. Don't do those. But the idea is option one itself is the problem because that is giving yourself over to flesh. Help me out here. Other than just getting drunk, because I don't think he's just talking about this is a passage about not getting drunk. Is that, is that what he, is, is he really, really in Ephesians saying, I want to talk about either being a really good Christian or being drunk. Like those are the, the polar opposites of one another. Or is he using getting drunk as an example of the opposite of what I want you to do in Christ? 
If that's the case, if he's not just talking about drinking, he's not just talking about drunkenness, what is option one? What's the problem here? What if you're a teetotaler? Can you possibly choose option one? All right, if you choose the flesh, Give me an example of how a teetotaler can choose option one. Because I don't want this just to be about uh, about drunkards. How can how can any of us today, without ever taking one sip of alcohol, potentially choose option one? Yes, because you're being questioned, but He's not just talking about doing a fleshly thing. He's talking about giving yourself over to them, right? So how can you, so I'm not disagreeing with you, but how would you give yourself over to gossip? As opposed to you just gossip. You can have a, a lifestyle of something like gossip. You can, you can live or gossip and live a lifestyle that's very
So what's option two? How would you summarize this? Don't be drunk with wine, but... All right. Now this is going to be a trick question based on the fact that we have done an entire study so far on Holy Spirit and what does it mean. Why does Paul have to tell Christians that they ought to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Because they may have problems with Absolutely, but don't Christians, all Christians have the Holy Spirit in them? Why would you ever have to tell a Christian, you know, you really ought to be filled with the Holy Spirit if you already have the Holy Spirit in you? Trixie, Trixie, Pastor Kevin. Okay. We can, even as Christians. And we'll go back to what, what Randy was saying a second ago. And if you remember from earlier in this study, it's been a little while, but maybe it's good to wrap around this every once in a while. Everybody has the Holy Spirit. Every Christian has the Holy Spirit. Right? When we accept Christ, the Spirit comes and dwells within us. We become a temple of the Holy Spirit. Right? Lots of verses we can point to in that. Bible also talks about times where you are filled overflowing with the Holy Spirit, which apparently is something other than the Holy Spirit is dwelling in you. Because people who are Christians who have had the Holy Spirit breathed into them at various moments have punctiliarly filling with the Holy Spirit. I'm not even necessarily having to go to Pentecostalism or charismatic stuff that we can, but rather the idea of going, there's a difference between saying, I am a glass of water that has water in it. And I took this glass and dumped it in the ocean. And it's it's got water and touching every part of the glass. It's filled to overflowing with the water. There is a time where when you accept Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. There are other times where God fills you to overflowing, and in times of worship, in times of prayer, in times when you give yourself to the Lord completely. By definition, that doesn't stand indefinitely. Which is why I think it's ironic every time I hear somebody who is Pentecostal or charismatic saying, I'm a spirit-filled Christian. Back in college, when they would say that, I would say, at the moment. Because everything about your use of the term spirit-filled Christian suggests punctiliar things. You're not currently filled, right? Um, I'm a little classier now, and I, I don't do that. But, but at the time, I did. But the idea being that Paul says, all right, you've got the Holy Spirit in you. If you're going to be fully immersed and fully controlled by something, how about, instead of that being a mind-altering substance or giving yourself over to debauchery, how about that be fully giving yourself over to the Holy Spirit? Because sometimes we don't let ourselves be filled with the Holy or, or filled or even directed by the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we're still grappling with that corpse of our old life, even though we've been given new life in the Spirit. Does that make some sense? So, what should that being filled to overflowing with the Holy Spirit? You're not just a Christian. You are in the presence of God. You've allowed the Holy Spirit just to fill you, flood you, touch every pore, supersaturate you, and flow out of you. What should that naturally lead us to do in 19 to 21? Give me some example of what Paul says. Speak to one another in the psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. Always give all thanks to God. Okay. Would those be fair indicators of new life in the Spirit being filled with the Holy Spirit? Why or why not? He says, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. In the modern mind, we tend to go, music, music, and music. What's the distinction? Anybody, anybody know what he's getting at when he says psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs? Okay, what's a song? Psalms. Yeah. Yeah, there's a, there's a whole bunch of them right there. They're, they're, they're written to, to, to honor God, and he probably is talking specifically about the psalms. Because by the time you get to the first century, it's become kind of a, you know, an industry term. We're talking about those things. Sing those. Sing songs written to God. From our perspective, classic <coughs> music of the church, if you want to think of it that way. Sing it. Speak it. Engage them. What's a hymn? Theological representation. 
The word itself literally means praise chorus, right? Which I find phenomenally ironic. A hymn, the word hymn means praise. It's a praise. So, okay. So, sing the classic songs we've got. Sing praises to God. What spiritual songs? There's no wrong answer on this one, because no, this is I, up for debate. I, I picture the songs that just overflow. Like, there's a few times where I just, you know, you just start singing whatever yep. comes to mind. So. That's what most people, that's what most people would say this is probably saying. It, it, again, this is why I say, we don't know exactly what he's getting at with this one. So there is no wrong answer. But most of the people studying it go, this is like spontaneous stuff. If you're filled with the Holy Spirit so that it's burgeoning and bubbling and, and going out, let song go with it. You know, let song come from your heart and burble out. And It may not be a good-sounding song, but it's just from your heart, from God's heart flowing through you. Sing in hymns. Sing praises to the God to the God that you love. Sing stuff that just burbles out. Sing established stuff. What's, why is he even going to all that? Yeah. Rabbit trail or segue too much, but I keep thinking about okay, so why did Jesus turn the water into wine when they were probably already tipsy? I mean, this has to at least relate somewhat, right? I think that's good. Can we talk about that maybe? Because okay. I think to get into that, you do get into some theology and, and rabbit trails. It's a good rabbit trail to talk and about. Doesn't it relate somewhat? I mean, I don't know. Because it's an, is it like forerunning the Holy Spirit, like representation? I don't know. Okay, that's, 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 just, I just, that's where I'm like, that's a really. It's a really astute observation, and I want to be able to talk about it, but okay. it is a larger question because of exactly what you're saying as to why why Jesus would actually do this. Because there's a whole line of, there's a whole spectrum from, because his mom asked him to, <laughs> I'm serious. I mean, and then, like, you tell the wonderful thing about how maybe the well even produced wine after that, which is, oh, okay. And yeah. that is, <laughs> yeah, but that's, but that's the whole thing, that's the rabbit trail as you go. Is it the wine in the in, in the in the jars that's the big issue, or if you, it, or is it a deeper thing where you go, no, it's it's all new wine now. You know, it, it changes everything, even down into the well. If that's the case, you go, then it isn't about Jesus going get plastered. No, you could have made great tasting wine without alcohol. Actually, okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I'm, you laugh. I actually heard. I've actually heard that argument before. Is that just because, in fact, I, I remember hearing I remember hearing a, a pastor one time I remember hearing a pastor one time talk about the wine that Jesus made de drunkified the people. And so, oh, I love it. <laughs> so we need to say this might be a rabbit trail, but you got no idea But I will come back to I will come back to um Throughout scripture, we get a consistent teaching that getting drunk, whether you're talking about Noah getting drunk, you're talking about uh, Paul saying don't get drunk, you're talking about um, the psalmist talking about getting drunk, not a good thing. It's like this is not, and beyond just the fact that, well, you damage your liver ultimately and kill brain cells, but it's, it's what you do when you're drunk because any part of you that goes, I shouldn't do that, apparently goes nods off for a little while. It's not a healthy thing. So whatever Jesus did at Cana, the one thing I will say, we've already rabbit trailed a smidge, but the one thing I will say is it wasn't to help them get more drunk. So I, I will I will fall short of anything else in terms of summaries, but we can talk about that later. But point is, is Jesus is like, okay, you can you can get drunk or whatever leads you into increased fleshliness. Um, going on a rant, kind of a temper tantrum, isn't that essentially getting drunk on anger? You're not just mad. You are. You ever find yourself so frustrated that you're just like, I feel like I'm on some kind of a wave. You know, I'm, 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 I'm no longer in charge of this. The anger itself is telling me that you need to call that person a big fat cow. I mean, it just, it just comes out, and you're like, blah, blah, blah. that can be this kind of thing. You can do option one, where it's like you've lost it. To drink, to anger, to busybodiness, to whatever. You've lost it. And everything that's inside of you, the fleshly parts of you, that's what's running away with you. Or you can give yourself to the Spirit and, and burst forth in song. What else? Not just song. What else does he say? And thankfulness. This is like, 
Why are you singing? Because I look at this and I go, thank you, God. I am not just the sum total of my parts. This world is not just all there is. I look around and I see so many blessings. There's so much to thank him for. Yes, thank God. And it does seem to be like the cure for falling into your fleshly nature. How so? Um, well, if you are struggling in this, say fleshly nature, I often find that reading my scripture or singing a song helps me refocus on the spirit, helps me guide, helps guide me there, and then being thankful and honoring God, like thankful for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God and even the Father. Um, you have to, when you start honoring somebody else, you are no longer focused on that fleshly nature that's running away with you. When you honor God and who He is, it really puts a stark light on what, where you have been and what you have been doing. And then, I'm going to jump ahead. <laughs> So let me let me let me cheat and do at least one application here. So what he's saying, all right, over here when I give myself over to drunkenness, on wine, on anger, whatever, uh, at least to me being debauched, at least to me just throwing myself into my flesh and whatever comes naturally to me, I become a gorilla. Or I, I focus on the Lord. I give my heart to Him. I. I I, I look at things bigger and deeper and richer than what I see right in front of me. I'm not just the sum total of my parts. I look at things from an eternal perspective, and I'm thankful to God. What's the third option? Okay. This is why I, this why it gets interesting. You know, this, Paul's like, this is the extreme example of this. You're, you don't just have the Holy Spirit. You're filled with the Holy Spirit. You're speaking in spiritual songs. You're giving thanks about everything. This, this. Don't do this. Where you give yourself over to your flesh and do that kind of stuff and are totally lost in that. We can wrap our heads around those two extremes, right? What's that middle part? That you know, the third value neutral thing look like? It does. And and, and we we see it that way, don't we? Like I'm actually value neutral today. I may not be. Filled with the spirit and give thanks to God and everything, but I'm not a grill over there and give myself to debauchery. I'm I'm value neutral. Are you ever value neutral? Because no. remember, we started with this. What are the two options? Yeah, there's two. How many options? Two. And then there's a third value neutral option. No, there's just two. So is there ever a time where you're just standing in a value neutral middle? You may be doing a. You may be doing a a standing on the 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 the, the least engaged part of directing yourself toward the Lord, or you may be standing on the least engaged part of being a gorilla and following whatever falls from your heart naturally, but is there ever a time where you're like, no, I'm basically neutral? Because at the very least, if you say, if I'm neutral, if I'm genuinely neutral, I am not following God at all, and I'm not giving sway to my natural inclinations at all. Isn't that giving sway to your natural inclinations then? If you're not following God at all, then what are you doing? Unless you're comatose, you're doing something. You're making decisions on something. You're moving somewhere and you go, yeah, all I'm doing is just making my way through life. Putting one foot in front of the other. I'm not doing anything moral or immoral. Yeah. So you're just mechanical. Yes, flashlight. Yes. Whoa, wait. So, how would you describe the fundamental difference or differences between these options? When you're talking to people, how would you describe them? At its core, between option one and option two. If you're looking at the word, does it just came in? It's Ephesians 5, 17 through 21. We're looking specifically at verse 18 where it says, Don't be drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. How would you describe the fundamental difference or differences between this? I mean, we just spent half an hour talking about it. How would you describe that to somebody in a nutshell? You're either with God and you're not. You have to love the Lord with all your heart, or your soul, or your mind, or your strength. Yeah. And, and, I'm not, and we need to be careful. We're not just, and if you're not doing that all the time, I beat you and you're a horrible person. No, that's, 
Find out the way to Stop the bags by God! We don't say that to, to make people feel guilty, but you just go, yeah, when he says you need to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength, there you go. Is that an obligation? A requirement? Yeah. And if you don't do that, apparently you lose your salvation. Is that the only thing that decides a requirement? If you don't do it, I hit you with a stick? You don't. Things that are required are not just things that you do or else something bad happens. Things that are required are, this is what's expected of you. Or else what happens? Why do I even need to go there? I expect you to do this. Are there things that can happen negatively? Sure. Does it require that for me to have a sense of requirement of something? So it's like, when Christ says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength, that's a suggestion, right? You don't have to do that. He's not saying you really should do that. Of course he is. Because if you don't do that, God removes the salvation. Nobody said that. How that's what you're supposed to do. Do that. But now we're back to, and what happens if you don't love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength? Then you're not doing it, right? You're doing not what God intended. You may have consequences. There may be. But the major consequence, the immediate consequence is, when asked what is the most important, important commandment of all time, that was the first half of how Jesus responded, Right? And you're not, you're not doing that. The first consequence is that you're going to what Jesus just said. And then what happens? What, you want more? Does it actually require more than that to make you feel like this is actually an obligation? Because to me, that in and of itself, wait, did I just actually disappoint Jesus? That's what my mom used to say to make me feel really bad. You know, Jesus is very disappointed in you. I'm so sorry! Isn't that enough? Isn't it? So it's like, yeah, what's the fundamental option here? What's the fundamental difference? Are you sold out to God or are you not? Because here's the thing. You're going to be controlled by something. Aren't you? I don't want to use Pauline language. You're going to be controlled. That's what we talked about in Romans 8, right? Controlled by the spirit, controlled by the sinful nature. Or you're going to be enslaving yourself to one or the other. Isn't that verbiage that we see in scripture? What's the third option? Somebody do me a favor. Read Galatians 5, 13 through 14. Let us leave Ephesians. You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Which is the second half of what Jesus answered, right? Does that sum up the entire law? It's the second half of what Jesus said. Do you agree with Paul? Yes or no? Is Paul wrong here in the divinely inspired scripture? <laughs> oh wait, was that a leading question? That might be unfair. <sighs> Does it sum up the entire law? Tyler, it sums up the entire law of dealing with your neighbors. Okay. So why might Paul sum up the law this way? Because apparently in Ephesians, he's focusing on that whole love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength, even though he doesn't specifically say that. He's like, be sold out that direction. So why here in Galatians is he talking about this? What's the context of these verses? Okay, well, without even looking at the context, what would you maybe hey, suggest hey, of the context? You can't. You can't. Wait, without even looking at the context. Without even looking at the context, what would you assume might be the context? Why might he? No, he was in trouble for assuming the context. Only if we assume the context and then walked away. Let's look at the context then, yeah. I would assume that he's talking about dealing with your neighbors and those types of things. You would think so, right? Yeah. Now, like I just told Nikki, we can't just walk away and go to another verse somewhere else because you don't want to just go, I by doing this, and then leave. That's inherently dangerous. But if Paul is saying, guys, when it comes down to it, this is the law in total. Love your neighbor like you would love yourself. 
if we walk away from that verse and just grab that, could it be possible that we say, you know, Christianity at its core is be cool to everybody? Couldn't you say that just from this verse? If you take it out of context? People do that all the time. Even Paul said, that's the whole point. Just be cool to everybody. I'm pretty sure that's not what that means. I'm with you on that. Alright. How okay. Let me back up by saying I'm I'm consciously being facetious, but that is what people have said. Um, but in what way would it not mean that? Michael! Can I go to some of the context? No, we're, we're gonna do that next. In what way does love your neighbor as yourself not just mean be cool to everybody? Be nice to everybody. Be friendly to everybody. I just tried to explain to somebody the other day that um, I, 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 I apologize for times where the church has been judgmental out of spite or disdain or hatred toward people because that is the exact opposite of what we're supposed to be doing. And they said, right, the church is supposed to just be loving people, so not judging people. I'm like, no, 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 no. I judge my children all the time because I love them. I love my child enough to say, you're a bonehead for sticking your wet finger in a light socket. Don't do that. You want me to judge my children that way, don't you? You want me as a parent to not let my child stick their wet finger in a light socket. So there are times where the church should be admonishing one another and others for doing things that we genuinely, conscientiously believe are toxic and destructive. Because we love you, we want to say, I'm sorry, I think this lifestyle, I think this action, I think those words are destructive or toxic. You really probably ought to rethink that. And they said, but that's judging in exactly the way you want me to judge my children, right? Now, if I do that because I think I'm better than you, or because, quite frankly, I never liked you in the first place. Or people that stick their fingers in light sockets just make me sick. That's not the way I'm supposed to be doing it. But if I do it because I say, you do wonder, can we discuss, you know, like, bolts and amps and what happens when you stick a, a wet finger in a light socket? Can, can we discuss why that's not healthy? That is not me being not loving. Me being quiet and watching you and going, what can I do? That's me being not loving. Right? To their credit, they started to wrap their head around that. But there are times where an act of love is not necessarily, well, you were cool with everything I was doing. It's like, no, the act of love is not being cool with everything that you're doing. Hey, let's look at some context. What happens in verse 15? Michael, why don't you read verse 15? Because you can also give us maybe a smidgy bit of context of stuff going before. But definitely verse 15. Now there is a force in Greek that not every American English version it's it's not just if you devour each other, it's if you keep on devouring each other. If you continue down the road that you're on. So what does that context suggest? Yeah. But when he's talking about dude, okay, here's the law and thumb. Love your neighbor as yourself. Because if you keep on dividing, devouring, dividing, and biting, it's like, oh, because you're not loving your neighbor as yourself, like, at all. How is what they're doing antithetical to the Christian life? And Michael, if you want to bring in any of the, the context that you were raising your hand about before. How is it living according to your fleshly nature and not according to leading the Holy Spirit? You can't love God and not love other people. Why? I agree. Why? Why? I don't disagree. Okay. Talk me through it. How so? Then how can if God is love and anybody who doesn't love is not coming? How can we be so judgmental? Love is love. You love who you love and love the people who love and anybody. So love means biting and judging. No, that's not. No, that's Talk not. through it with me. I agree. Talk through it with me. I'm going to reference earlier your talk about 
Okay. So sometimes love can be stop at your bonehead. Okay. What else? What? Why is it that you? I, 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 sorry, I completely agree that if you if you're not loving your neighbor, you're not loving God well. Why? You can quote verses to me if you want, but just philosophically, why? Why do those? Why? Why is it if I mean to kill them, I'm obviously not showing love to God? Calvin's not God. Nothing was created by God, and we were commanded to. <laughs> okay, so let's do, take it in two parts. Calvin's created by God. Therefore, if I'm kicking part of God's creation, specifically a part of God's creation that we're specifically told that God loves, God so loved this broken, sinful world. This is love. Not that we first loved, but he loved us even while we were yet sinning. God died, Christ died for us. Yep. God loves Kelvin. And if I despise Kelvin, I am spitting on God's love. So that's one philosophical argument as to why that works that way. The second half of this, you go, we're commanded. In what way are we commanded? Okay. And aren't we told, as I have loved you, go, so should you love one another? Okay. Is there any teaching that, that Jesus gives or Paul gives at all about why that's the case? Why? What? What happens if you don't? What? What? Not not just consequences, but just like what does that suggest if you're not? You ever remember when Jesus gave a parable about a guy that was forgiven and then refused to forgive? What was the take on that? Did you even get this? Do you understand what's going on? How can you say you love God and appreciate his grace and then not extend it toward David? How can, if I'm if I if I harbor bitterness and I and I and I like spike traps between me and David and I go, ah, oh, don't do it's like is that what God did to us? And if that's not what God did to us, are we really following his example? And we go, well, no. So you're not acting like God. You're not acting like you're living like you appreciate what God did. And you're not acting like you love whom God loves. But other than that, you're doing a good job of this. It's not only like we're just God's creation, we're also his image bearers. So it's like, well, yeah, you're not only messing up the painting he made, you're messing up his self-portrait. And calling it ugly. Okay, and it's not even just the Imago Dei. My example of Kelvin, in particular, he's not just made in the image of God. He's been reborn with new life as my adopted brother, right? So he's part of God's family. Help me out here. If you see somebody being mean to Mark, hopefully you'd go, hey, stop that. If you see somebody being mean to your child, would you have the same emotional reaction as, well, intellectually, I think it's mean of them to be mean to Mark. You're looking at them kicking your child in the shin. It's like, well, intellectually, I'd have a problem with that. <laughs> right? Or would you go, this is my child, this is my family, this is my blood. How am I not feeling that when I'm kicking God's child in the shin? How am I not feeling that blood connection? How am I not saying this is my sister, this is my brother? Again, I'm not saying all this stuff so that all of us feel guilty. We're all in back going, I did this so bad. Not the point I'm getting at. Though that is technically the point Paul's getting at. He goes, yeah, you're doing it wrong. Um, point I'm getting at is there is not just a, well, there are verses that say this. There's a philosophical, logical argument as to why God says if you actually want to understand what it means to be a Christian, you need to love people the way I have loved people. Because otherwise, I'm not sure you understood what I just did. You're not necessarily living like it. You're not necessarily living like you understand that this person was made in the image of God, and this person potentially has even been remade, and is filled with the same Holy Spirit that you are. You're part of the same body. 
the hand is apparently looking at the eyebrow going, I hate you, eyebrow. And you go, what on earth are you doing? I have to wonder if you ever understood this or if you are a Christian and you do at, at one point or another understand it, I'm with Paul going, why don't you do this? Do you remember the first major argument in Romans? I love Romans. Romans is this beautiful philosophical argument. The first major argument in Romans is why you should never stop at the end of chapter 1. That is the most egregious sin of the chapter divider that I've ever heard in my life. Romans 1 is too easily read as its own argument. And that's a mistake. Because Romans 1 is like, you know, people in Rome, naughty bad people, look at all the stuff they do, you know what they do. They do this and this and this. They, they don't know God, and so they do all sorts of bad stuff. That's not the argument, is it? Because the first verse in Romans 2 says, you know, they don't know God. You do. So why do you do the same things? You do the exact same stuff that they do. At least with them, I look at them and go, you ignorant heathen. I look at you and I go, you're neither ignorant nor heathen. So what are you doing? All of you going, yeah, yeah, those heathen Romans around us are just so bad. Oh, I do. Oh, you the first argument of Romans is, hey, Christians, you got to live like this. Otherwise, what's the point? Right? <sighs> Never wanted to be. So, he's like, if you are biting and devouring one another, you are missing the point of what it means to be a Christian. You are not following God, and you are not following the Holy Spirit. You are not being led. You are not filled overflowing and bursting forth in song and in praise and in thankfulness, you're doing what made total sense given what he did to me. It is natural that I should feel this way, right? Natural. I'm sorry, is there a third middle position? Read 16 and 17. Thank you. Galatians 5, 16, 17. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with uh, each other, so that you do not do what you want. Okay. When we read verse 16, we usually read this... When we talk about following the sinful nature, doing what you're losing yourself to that, we, we often will think of naughty sins like sexual immorality and stuff like that. When you do the things of your sinful nature, you lose yourself. What's the context of this here? It is. Which is part of why we go there. But what's the context leading to this? Yep. So... To apply this toward the naughty sins, of course it applies. In fact, that's where he's like, you know, this is the ultimate example. But the fact that he doesn't start with that, he goes to that, says, in line of argument, he's kind of saying, guys, when you do this, it's the same line of thought as when you do this. And I think we all agree, this is bad. Why don't you see this one is bad? Why do we jump to the naughty sins list? Can you, the answer is yes, I'll slowly back up, should you, so should most Christians who genuinely want to follow scripture, should they be absolutely fine with living consciously, sinfully, sexually inappropriate lives? Like you're sleeping around, you're doing all sorts of different horrible things. You know, well, most Bible-believing Christians would sit there and go, well, if I'm flagrantly sexually lascivious, I, I would probably think that's wrong. Church as a whole, we have a lot of people who, who we have openly affirmed you know, homosexuality, and it's, it's well, the, no. the church got it wrong on that part. I mean, surely that can't be the part. Like, so, well, and, and that's true. And I think, I think as a culture, we will see more and more and more of that self justification. Let me go to let me go to maybe the conclusion. So, you're right. Let me go. 
Have, for centuries, has the church been absolutely fine with saying, growly, snippy, snap, snap, growl, 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 to people I don't like or people who are doing things wrong and feeling like I'm totally being self-righteous in doing that? I will tie you to a pole and set fire to you and sleep like a baby tonight knowing I did the righteous thing. Why? It's important to note that that list of value sins doesn't stop there. Nope. It's, you know, there's sorcery and idolatry and stuff, but there's also bits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy. Yep. See, we're going to run out of time today to go into all that, but that's where we're going with this, is to that list of things that, that goes there. But yes, why, why is it that somehow we go, yes, sorcery, even, Fits of anger, or, you know, dissensions. We well, have to have dissensions when people are wrong, because otherwise, you know, it's going to mess. We need to get those people out of the church. Why is it that we just go, fuck, toss some of these, some of these to the side and go, oh, that's not really wrong. In our fleshly nature, we desire to rationalize away our own <clears throat> behavior and say, I am, I'm standing in the corner of the righteous over here. Um, I'm not letting my fleshly nature get away with me. Um, but I still don't like you, and I, I still have these feelings. So we just more, it's more for ourselves. Old Testament, you didn't, you didn't struggle with everybody that had anchor. Right. Yep. Some are more corrupting, so I, I don't disagree with what like you said, but there are, there are other Did, facets as well. All sin, I, I remember talking to somebody in college, all sin is sin. Some sins have deeper richer ripple effects than others. Um, if, if I kick you in the shins because I'm angry with you, that's a sin. And it's going to have negative implications. If I shoot you in the head because I'm angry with you, that's a sin. Arguably, a few more ripple effects to that one, right? So, I mean, yes, there, there are differences in, in, in things. What were you going to say, Michael, before I comment too much on this? Um, I just want to go back to the context before. Absolutely. The, the context here is the uh, some people were advocating for circumcision and um, being yoked to slavery again, being obligated under the law, and all saying, you know, that's not going to, Christ isn't even going to be an advantage to you if you do that. Don't do it. Um, and you get some colorful language, you'll, you're severed from Christ, yep. and you'll be justified by the law. But um, when he's talking about the people who are trying to persuade them to do this, he concludes by saying, I wish those who unsettled you would emasculate themselves. Yep. And, you know, go the whole way. That's a translation puts it. And it works. Um, that doesn't sound very, like, non-dissentious or, you know, friendly and cool with everybody. So how can Paul, that's a good point, so how can Paul say, Guys, if they're saying that your Christianity is dependent on how much of your flesh you circumcise off, I wish they'd just chop the whole thing off. And then within a couple of verses says, dissension is a bad thing. Is he a hypocrite? So, I think he's applying the either or. or yeah. Yeah, I think that's exactly what he's doing. do one or do the other, but don't be hooked But But something that Michael's getting at is a perfect example of how we can go back to saying, yeah, sometimes dissensions are good things. Because, I mean, you have to separate yourself from the unclean. Yes and no. I mean, yes, you need to, to remove yourself from this unclean stuff, and yet at the same time we're supposed to be ambassadors to this. So, um, when, when Paul is talking about this dissension, this backbite, he's talking about Christians who are nitpicking and snipping and slapping and biting at one another. It's like, stop that. As opposed to, wait, this, if you allow this to continue in the church, this sin that you are accepting is a yeast that will leaven the whole batch. We need to remove that sinfulness from this. But that's not the same thing as this. I don't think Paul would ever justify that sound, right? Because to him, it's either going, wait, I don't want to just go, I either want to say, you're my brother, please work on this, let's work on this, let's, 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 let's change this, or I have to tell you that you are not part of this church. I have to cut you out like a cancer. The idea of going, well, you got cancer. Like, um, no. I don't want to just go, oh, well. I want to either sit there and go, this is workable, 
or this is incisible. But I don't want to say, mm, I just don't like this. I don't like you. I don't like this. So he's like, you're sniping at each other. You're fighting at one another. You're attacking one another. You're saying you're not good enough to be my brother. You're not right enough to be my sister. You're not the... So that, that mentality, is something we can justify. We can even look at exactly what Michael's pointing to and go, didn't Paul do that? To which I go, no. Paul cut things out like a surgeon. Or Paul gave medicine to fix things. Or Paul encouraged things to this. Yes, what you're doing here, Philippians. Yes, you rock. Thank you. Do that. But the idea of just going, ah, he never did that. But there's another argument in Paul, and then i got to stop. There's another argument in Paul where he talks about, you know, sexual sin being all other sins. Done outside the body. This is one that you're doing in your body. That slightly different kind of perspective is something that that um, Gary's getting at. We look at that and we go, "Well, that one's clearly wrong." Whereas other ones, can't you always just say, "You made me do this. Situation made me do this. Why you? Well, she barked at me, so I had to bark back at her. At which point she." Pulled a knife on me, so I pulled a gun on her, so she nuked my family, so I blew up the world! Wait, stop! But can't you sit there and go, she started it. With almost any sin, situation demanded it. So yes, there are times we look at some things and go, that's, that's the naughty sin, that's the egregious sin, that's the obvious sin. Whereas this one makes total sense. Not if you're thinking, filled with the Holy Spirit, so that you just exude thankfulness. You, you praise God. That is what you live for. And if there's a problem, uh, so if Kelvin was being obnoxious, if Kelvin is causing dissensions, if then if I sit there and go, therefore I despise you and I judge you, everything we talked about today, isn't that doing that the wrong way? Or if I sit there and I go, because I love you, let me cut that cancer from you. And let me say, this, this is the way we should love. Praise God with me. Come on, let's give thanks today. To which Kelvin goes, you're trite. I'm having a hard time and people are being mean to me and you're like, praise God. I'm not even being remotely trite. It's not that I'm going, I don't think happy thoughts. No, I'm saying there's a worldly way of looking at this naturally and responding to this. And there's a godly way of looking at the spiritual and responding to this. And so if she goes, this is injustice, you go, yes. It's injustice, and it's wrong. Let's fight this together, and praise God that God thinks this is injustice. And let's stand together. But if we lose ourselves to darkness in our hearts, we've missed the point. If we stand against injustice, because God is honored when we do. Because we love the people who are being injusticed to. Because we love the people who are doing the injustice. And we want to cut that cancer out of them. Because we love them, not because we hate them. Doesn't that change everything about how we're living? Help me out. What's the third option? I see injustice, and I hate it, and I hate that, and anybody does this, I hate it. I'll beat it with a stick. I see injustice, and I say, these are people who are made in God's image, being injustice to that by people who are made in God's image, and I want to help this, and I want to stand for God's light and shine that light into them. What's the third neutral option? Just do nothing, right? Isn't that the neutral option? How so? Is this what comes natural? What comes natural is to respond, or I don't even want to get into it. I'm still on this side, aren't I? It's either or. All right, we really have to stop, and I didn't get it. Anywhere near as far as I wanted to be. But that's okay. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you. I thank you for every good day that you give us. And I thank you for the hard days that you give us the opportunity to stretch our muscles and strengthen our muscles against those hard days. And I thank you that you give us hard days that we can demonstrate your love. And on days when there's bright sunshine, we can reflect your light and praise you. And on days where there's darkness, we can reflect your light, and it's even stronger, and it's even more of a beacon. So I pray, Lord, help us, help us to be in all things led by your Spirit, to be filled, overflowing with your Spirit.
Help us to be your beacons to the world around us, not because we're that nice or because niceness comes naturally to us, but because it's all so unnatural to our flesh that we are not the sum total of the pieces. Help us to pick option two. In Jesus' name.